You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing Monday night's 1-0 defeat to the Blades at Craven Cottage as Sheffield United well and truly did a job on us and denied us the chance to go five points clear at the top of the table. A huge missed opportunity for the Whites and it was a slow, ponderous and ultimately pointless display from the Whites that gives us much cause for concern. And here to dissect everything that happened the other night at the cottage is Joe Sansom. Hello. You all right? Not the best, but I'm glad that I get to speak it out. Yeah, yeah, this is a therapy session. Uh, Dan Crawford, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, Sammy. Thanks for booking me in. Oh, pleasure. I have to book you in months in advance. I had to go through PAs, all sorts, secretaries, so many levels of administration before I could find a date that worked for Dan Crawford. Nice to see the liars have started early, but good to be with you. (laughs) (laughs) And Jack Collins, hello. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. I'm just delighted to see Dan. No offence, Joe. I see you a bit more. Um, So um, so I'm just delighted to be back on a podcast and legend himself is Dan Crawford. Well, Christmas special. It's only right that when Dan's here, Jack's here. The two um, are, are like polar opposites. They're like positive and negative magnets. They retract each other, but they also work perfectly together. Right, let's get into some three-word reviews from last night's game. Um, Jack, uh, I gave you the duty. It was your old job. You don't tend to do it too much anymore. But whenever you get the opportunity to do some three-word reviews, uh, it's always nice. So what came in? Yeah, some some good ones, actually. I, I enjoyed it. it you, do, you do tend to find that they're better when we lose. Um, so they've been poor this season um, well, <laughs> on the whole, but, but oh, let's go through them. Uh, Brim Paulson with Hecking Bottom Beats Top. Um, 1986, Lump of Coal, I thought was fun. Uh, Ollie Watts, Sack of Taters, uh, good fun. Reese Daly with DI Another Day. Um, and then yeah, Cam like Ramsey that. with Curl Up and DI. Uh, <laughs> Drexian Wave Jumper, Nightmare Before Christmas. Sean Burdett with potentially my favorite of the lot, Let's Watch Dart. Um, yeah. Matt Wall, Stealing Our Christmas with Steel as in S T E E L. Very good. Very good. Uh, Alistair Nimmo, United We Fall, and John Brooker, Blade Slayed Us, but Slayed, S-L-E-I-G-H. Very good. I know you're too humble to use your own, but you got a lot of likes on it, and I think it's worthy of mention, which was Feliz Very Bad, which was... (laughs) Oh, that's good. It was exceptional, Jack. I will give it to you. Um, as you say, you can't pick your own three-word review no. when you are on duty, but it was very good. So uh, a notable mention for Valise. Very bad. Uh, we'll see what you go with for the pod name. Let's get into last night. Dan, 
I am normally fairly positive. I like to think that you are an extra notch of positivity above me in the scale. I am struggling to find any positives from last night. What a missed opportunity. Could have gone five points clear. As we are still top of the tree, but that was dire last night. And I, I, I can't find too many other ways to dress it up. No, it wasn't good, Sammy. Um, it was a very dispiriting uh, performance and arguably it's been coming. Well, I don't think it's arguable, really. Um, the last four or five games have not been of the level that um, we might expect of a Marco Silva side and the way that uh, he wants to play. Um, the only positivity I can find for you this morning is that of teams who've topped the championship at Christmas, the last 10, nine have got promoted, four as champions, five as runners-up, I think it is. And the exception is Leeds when they remarkably bottled it, um, mm. which is, will never cease to be funny. Um <laughs> Now falling apart again. It will cease to be funny if we do it, Dan. I give you that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very yeah, true. quite, quite, quite possibly. But I, but I still, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I saw some hysterical overreactions uh, to to last night's performance, including um, sacking Marco Silva and his entire coaching staff from one particular uh, correspondent. I, I would just point out. You know, we revere somebody like Mickey Adams um, as a manager for taking for starting this remarkable ascent through the uh, through the football league. But his promotion team went through a remarkably similar um, period at a very similar time in the season and recovered uh, with a win at, against Swansea um, to go on and dominate the the second half of the season. Um, I don't think this is the time to sort of panic unduly. The championship has this pattern of um, producing these sorts of results. And I think as we'll go on to discuss, Sheffield United are a very good, um, a well-drilled side and they played it perfectly last night. Indeed, all of our defeats, I think, have largely, with the exception of Coventry, been by teams who have stuck to a game plan, stuck in, stopped us from playing. Um, and invariably scored at least one absolute wonder goal um, to go with it. Um, and I'm sure we'll get to the, the lamentable failures to do anything approaching defending um, <laughs> when, when it came to stopping <laughs> and die, sort of slalom through not just Craven Cottage, but possibly Bishop's Park as well on his way to um, scoring, the, scoring the winner. But yeah, no, it, it wasn't good, but I'm not pressing the panic button just yet. Yeah, I was slightly upset that a man previously only known for sounding like a Whitney Houston song uh, managed to uh, score <laughs> such an impressive goal. Um, Joe, why was I so positive yesterday? Why did I think that Sheffield United was a perfect game for us? Why did I think that this was Fulham's chance to go five points clear at the top when actually all the evidence, you know, an informed Sheffield United, a team that has been underperforming but is very, very good at its core and has some fantastic players in there and an out of form Fulham why did I go into yesterday's game thinking that 
it had all the hallmarks of a lovely before Christmas game where we're just going to sail to a big comfortable cushion at the top of the championship. Uh, I'm intrigued as to why you're asking Joe this when the only person that can answer this question is you. Well, I'm hoping that Joe's (laughs) going to say that he had some similar thoughts, but maybe he didn't. I I did. I did. I I had similar thoughts purely because... um, I feel like we've thrown away, and I know this sounds a bit ironic, but we've thrown away so many opportunities over the last few weeks to extend the gap that I thought this is finally going to be it. This is going to be the moment when we get back to winning ways, maybe just pure through pure hope rather than any actual evidence or facts because the performances haven't been great recently. Um, the team news comes out. I think that's our strongest 11. Yeah. I also think that the bench is the strongest it's been in weeks with the introduction of Chalabar back into the team, who I heavily rate and I think is a better bench o- option than Onoma personally. I think it looks strong. It looks like players can come on and get a goal. Sheffield United fans complaining that they had a few out with COVID. They also had um, one of their defenders out through other reasons on loan from Liverpool. And it just seemed like everything was going in our favour and maybe that should have been the warning sign um, because then as soon as the game kicked off, everything seemed to turn. And thinking back about the game, which obviously wasn't that long ago, so it's as fresh in my memory as it will be, I can't help but think that nothing really happened other than the goal and us missing that chance at the end that I'm sure we'll talk about. It was a very, very uneventful game and a very dull game and there weren't really any chances for either team. And it's one of those which I think nine out of 10 times would probably end nil-nil. And I think that the fact that we've lost it one nil on a chance that really frustrated me makes it 10 times worse. But the performance wasn't there. It's one of the worst I've seen all season, probably aside from, from Coventry. And what annoyed me about this game was that I feel like Sheffield United wanted it more. Um, and that really frustrated me because... As you said, Sammy, this was a chance to go five points clear of Bournemouth, let alone third place. And obviously third place is the main the main worry for us at the moment, but we could have gone five clear of Bournemouth with a far better goal difference. And the fact that Sheffield United, who are currently in about 11th chasing the playoffs, I know that the league tables are far more close than that makes it sound. Um, they wanted it more and that I, I, I don't like. I thought they were first to every second ball, And as Dan said earlier, their game plan, I thought they played out perfectly in the end. Yeah, Jack, we have to give Sheffield United some credit. And and you... Well, we did talk about this on th- on the Thursday Club podcast that we recorded, that there is a lot of talent in this team. And you just looked at that back line of, of John Egan, Chris Basham, and then uh, Norwood and Hurahan in the middle were, were solid. Um, and obviously that goal from Ndai at the time, I'm, I'm questioning the Fulham defence. And I, that was the only thing I was questioning. On reflection, I realised that it was also an astonishingly good run and a great goal. But how? How has he been allowed to go from effectively inside their half to the edge of the penalty box without even a notion of a challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the kind of element where no one wants to kind of just trip him over because it's a yellow card three minutes into the game, right? And and, and that, that maybe goes back to the whole our Fulham too nice thing. And I think it's an oversimplification to do that and to say that. Um, but there is that element that no one wants to get booked three minutes into a game for taking someone down, you know, least of all John Surrey. Um, and, and that's fine. Like, you know, but you have to look at it and go, 
at, at that point, is it wiser just to you know take him down in the middle of the park with three players in front of you, try to make it look like you've bundled into him uh, and, and hope for the best because otherwise he's going in. There's a couple of others. Tosin peels off to try and cover Billy Sharp's run when he should probably step up. Um, but that's communication as well between Tosin and Ream and, and someone stepping out and someone's, you know, peeling off to go with the runner. We've seen it a couple of times where, you know, we, we basically get a bit frozen deer in the headlights stuff um, rather than being able to communicate who's going to the man and who's stepping across. Um, now, obviously, it's harder when you're running at full pelt backwards, um, but there, there should still be that element of communication to be able to do things. I, I, I thought it was really poor um, just in general yesterday. And maybe the, the nadir of the past couple of performances, which have been getting worse steadily, you know, uh, I said at a, at a kind of point last night that we were bad against Preston. You can maybe, you know, stomach it coming off the back of the illnesses and whatever, and then really, really poor against Luton um, where the question marks were kind of raised, but not necessarily th- thought through and, 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 and kind of pushed through. And it was kind of like, okay, we're allowed a little blip. And then last night it got even worse. Now, we have to remember that the last time, obviously, we had a, a big loss in the form of, of Coventry, we were able to bounce back and and take heart from a winning run off the back of it. So as Dan said earlier, I don't think this is panic stations. I don't think this is, you know, fire the board and fire the manager staff and, 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 and get rid of everyone and start again. I think that we can all take a breather. But there is an element that the last three performances have been steadily getting worse and something needs to change. Um, but also worth pointing out that it's another case of Fulham not being able to deal with a 3 4 one, two. Um, This is the formation that seems to cause us problem after problem after problem. Uh, and, you know, we, we haven't found that solution yet. We've muddled through games where teams have done this. There have been a couple of games, Swansea, stands out as just a game where Fulham, they pressed so high within the formation that Fulham were able to get through them. Um, But yesterday, Sheffield United's press was so cohesive. It was such a watertight system that Fulham were just not able to play through it. And I don't know if this is a case of us getting a little bit complacent um, and and not being quite as quick and as sharp in terms of of playing these passes and getting through presses. Um, But we're struggling against this formation and we need to find out a solution because there are very few teams now in this division playing four at the back. Um, and, and we're going to come up against this time and time again. If people see that this is the way to beat Fulham or the way to, to start getting results against Fulham or to frustrate Fulham, then it's going to become a problem. And also, Dan, we just seem to look so ineffective when we are 1-0 down. It's an age-old problem. It's over two years since Fulham have managed to come from behind to win a game. And there's only been a few draws in there as well. We really just seem to lack ideas. And when a team sits in front of us, last night there was so much you know, sideways passing, trying to open them up, but it never seemed to work. And that is some credit down to Sheffield United and their defending, but it all just looks quite easy and just simple to predict exactly where Fulham are going to go and what the next move is. I can half the time just work out that Tete is going to pass it to Decadova Reed and Decadova Reed is going to pass it back to Tete and he's going to back to Tosin and maybe it'll go to Reed and then he'll go sideways. I can, you can almost see it, it, it before it all happens. So God knows how easy it is then for the actual Sheffield United defence to work that out on the pitch. Yeah, I don't. So, so a couple of things. Um, 
the style of football that Fulham play is mesmerising when it works and when it when it's played quickly and when we play at tempo and at pace with a bit of an invention in the in the forward line. Um, but it is essentially predictable because Fulham play the same way regardless of the scoreline, regardless of the stage of the game, um, pretty much uh, consistently. And most of the time we enjoy it. But the last few games, um, we've been a little bit laboured, a little bit leggy, a little bit... Um, hesitant at times to, to trust our passing. And I think there, there, there's obviously an issue when the front three become as detached as they, they ended up doing um, last night. And to Jack's point, playing a lone striker against three centre-backs has been a problem um, for, for some time. And, you know, Mitrovic didn't have a lot to work with, um, ironically, until he started making chances for himself right at the end. Um, but I, you know, I'm going to sound like an old man here now, shouting at the clouds or whatever. But I do think that there's a fundamental problem with the setup in central midfield. What you've got is essentially one of the best holding midfielders in the division, in Harrison Reed, who is, you know, we're, we're essentially experimenting on him and trying to create him into a new type of box-to-box midfielder. They've been very open about this. Reed said it at the start of the season. Silver has said he wants to make Reed into a different type of footballer. Uh, and what you've got now is, the, you know, I'm not quite sure how, how to classify this, but in the modern vernacular, they're trying to play Jean-Michel Serri as a number six. It doesn't work. It doesn't work when teams realise that they can press high against him and limit his effectiveness. Because frankly, when you see the quality that Seri has to unlock a defence, you want Siri to play in a more forward role. And when we were just having that discussion about the um, complete abdication of any defensive responsibility for the, for the Sheffield United goal, you want Harrison Reid in that position, or if of anyone in the squad, to shut down the danger when it appears because he did it later to Sanderberg when it looked like Sanderberg was going to stroll through. You know, it makes no sense to me to have those positions reversed in a central midfield because you're robbed of Reid's real uh, outstanding quality, which is his ability, his ability to read the game, and what you get actually is Reed breaking into the box in the in the final third, where he suddenly doesn't seem to know quite how to magic up a a pass or an assist or a shot, which is no fault of his own because he's not that type of type of player. And I think if if we're going to sort of try and experiment our way through through a championship season like that. It's not going to, you know, that, that that's just not going to work. I think Joe made the point earlier. You got, you know, Chalabar potentially could be a a more destructive defensive central midfielder than uh, than than Seri. And I do think as well, you know, we don't quite know what the situation is with Tom Kearney and his long term um, long term fitness. But I think last night probably showed that. Um, that Kearney is so pivotal to the sort of slower build-up play. A lot of things went through him when when we came when he came on and uh, and began to orchestrate things in midfield. You know, there's something not quite right, particularly about that central midfield makeup, and we need to sort that out. I just think that there's an element. We got a question about this from Fulham transfer um, and two, to be fair, about and from Daniel Reed all over, who said, "Do we need to stop playing Seri in the six and and Reed in the eight? I think it's 
a little bit simplistic to look at it purely like that. Um, John McElserry is one of the best passers in the league. And he does so from a deep position. He's always done so from kind of a two-man pivot, right? That, that's where he's almost always played. Yes, he played as a 10 a little bit further up when we when he first came in. And we saw that that didn't really work because it's really easy to, for a defensive midfielder to shackle him. Where Seri's been excellent this year is dictating from deep, spreading the play, moving it around. Now, yesterday, I think that there was a problem in the middle in that we weren't quick enough. I think that was it. And, and I agree with you in terms of defensive responsibilities. You want Harrison Reed being the one chasing I completely agree um but I think to suggest that you know you just switch their roles and, and this is what this these questions would say it is a bit kind of that's the it's a silver bullet that doesn't exist it, it basically in Harrison Reed you have a player who wants to to mop around to to destruct he's a little bit of a kind of Lower level championship and Golo Kante is, is how I would describe Harrison Reed's play style, right? He likes to destroy, but he, he needs to be freed. You don't want Harrison Reed as the sole player at the bottom of midfield because too much of the ball goes through him. And that's what the way that Fulham are playing and building up through those channels and giving your six the ball, or if you want to call it six, it's more like the old, what the Argentines would call a five. It's the player who sits at the base of a midfield and dictates the game, the metronome. Jorginho does it for Chelsea. Um, it, it's that player who sits in and makes sure that the game pace is dictated. Now, the problem yesterday was that Seri didn't dictate the pace of the game. He wasn't able to. He wasn't able to get a, a hold of the ball and start to stroke it around in the way that we've seen him do it. But to switch their roles and put Harrison Reed into that position ensures that you give Reed far more of the ball than you give Seri. And I think that's a negative. I think you want John McHale Seri as the player on the ball. And therefore, he's going to sit deepest in the way that it looks when Fulham are in possession. That's always going to be the case because the player who's the metronome will always want to be at the bottom of a, a kind of triangle in the midfield because one, there's less pressure on them. And two, it's a place where they can see the entire pitch. You push him further up and you kind of limit that vision and the amount he gets the ball. And so I'm not completely convinced that switching their roles, I agree that, yes, if there is a defensive break and the player on the halfway line that you want chasing back at a corner should be should be Reed and not Seri. Those are, that seems a bit mad to, to have them in that regard on, an, on, on a break from a, a Fulham attacking position. But in the cult kind of general gameplay context, not having Seri as the kind of deepest player, especially when Fulham have so much of the ball like we did last night, kind of, I think, reduces their usefulness, both of them. Well, is it is it time for Kearney Joe to get above Seri in the pecking order? Fitness depending. I mean, I love John McHale Seri and I love what he has done. But actually, when's his last full good game? He wasn't particularly great in that win against Peterborough, so much so that Tom Kearney had to come on in the second half. Um, in the Barnsley game, Tom Kearney started and Seri came on late and did make a nice impact with that little dink to Harry Wilson, but it was mostly the Kearney game. And then, well, I mean, no one's really played well since then, but particularly not Seri. And I thought that Kearney did come on yesterday and have an impact. I just wonder whether Seri's a little bit out of form at the moment and maybe Kearney should be given that nod. The whole balance did seem better in the second half, even though, yes, we were frustrating at times. Yeah, completely agree about the balance. I thought he gave us something that we were missing, um, something that was a bit less telegraphed. I thought that Kearney was one of the only players where you weren't as sure what they were going to do with the ball, as we saw when he came on against Bournemouth. Is that better when he comes on off the bench? I'm not so sure because um, from what I've seen of the Luton game, I watched the game back, I wasn't there. 
Um, I wasn't as impressed with Kearney when he played the full 90. I thought he tired quicker. Um, one thing to say about Seri is um, it's all about the blonde hair. Since he's gone blonde and channeled his <laughs> inner Ibrahim Assise, he's become Ibrahim Assise, sadly. Um, one also <laughs> thing to note is that um, in September, when we lost at Blackpool, our midfield that day, if I remember correctly, was Onoma next to Seri. And that was probably one of the last times we saw Onoma start a game. A few days later, we played and we played three in midfield and it was Reed, Chalabar and Seri. And again, might be wrong, but I, I don't think I am in that that is the only time we've seen those three together this season. And I'd be interested to see us try that again against Birmingham in a few days' time or Kearney instead of Chalabar slash Seri because um, I thought we lost the midfield battle yesterday. I think that's where we lost the game. I thought that Horahan and Norwood played very well and then they had Fleck and Burge came off the bench as well um, for who Morgan Gibbs-White who went off injured which I thought was going to be a bit of a blessing because he's been playing very well. But I'd be interested to see us change it up. There's been a few questions I saw um, that have been asked that I'm sure we'll talk about about what can we change because we've We've got to change something. We can't just keep putting the same team out and expecting us sort of Parker style to have a moment of magic, just find a goal from somewhere. We need to change something. And I'd be interested to see us try that midfield that worked so well against Birmingham in the past, created a lot of chances. Um, I'd be interested to see us try that again. Um, Dan, I felt like really all over the pitch, it was one out of 10 performances. And whilst the midfield battle was probably key to why we lost in wide areas, we were poor. I didn't think Harry Wilson did all that much. I was surprised he didn't get substituted when Fabio Carvalho did. I thought that seemed like a slightly more obvious substitution for me because I thought that Fabio was doing okay there in the middle. And then Niskins Cabano. I said this joke before the podcast, so it won't work as well. But um, Chris Basham was nominative to turn in last night because that, that was all he was doing into Niskins. He didn't have a prayer, did he? He just kept absolutely clattering Niskins. And as much as he tried the little silky skills, it just didn't really work for him. And just all over the pitch, really, it was subpar. And I feel like Niskins' drop-in performances is maybe just like the tip of the iceberg really for a whole for the whole team it wasn't uh great from our wide players they haven't been um as good as uh we'd want them to be for a for a little while now um i have some sympathy uh with uh knee skins in the sense that he was being buffeted from from pillar to post and too often the ball got to him and he was expected to 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 magic something up when and i'm sure we'll get to this he didn't exactly have uh, great support from from behind him, um, and then uh, by the end of the game, he was expected to be not only a left winger but a left wing back um, as well. And if our previous managerial incumbent had made that sort of tactical switch, you know, there'd have been podcasts galore um, <laughs> or, 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 yeah. on that. On that, I fancy. Um, what what I would say is it emerged last night as well that Denise Skins has become the latest victim of this abhorrent uh, racial abuse that is yeah. uh, that is sent out by uh, idiots seemingly frustrated that they haven't won a bet. Um, you know, obviously it goes without saying it's completely wrong and um, we should eradicate this scourge from from not just professional football but uh, but society um, as well. And 
you know, I would cut these skins a little bit of slack for the simple reason that um, nobody was was good last night, and he has been fantastic this season and thoroughly deserved his place in 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 the team. Um, it's just a question of getting back to those types of levels. He didn't necessarily have the options uh, in the penalty area when he got to the byline either, because as we talked about already, um, Mitrovic was overmatched. Uh, Harry Wilson's an interesting one. Um, to me, because he seems to do this. He either is absolutely brilliant um, and scores or, or makes a goal, or he looks very anonymous. And there are two different ways of, of looking at it, because when you watch Wilson very closely, he makes that those sort of clever runs from wide to, to central and out to the other side and all of those things. And it's a question of whether he's played uh, whether he's played in by by his teammates as as to whether it works, but I did think our evening was rather summed up by the the moment just before half time where he sort of slalomed all the way through, cut cut onto his left side, onto his right side, into the penalty area, and then fell over just when he was about to take a shot. I mean, if anything summed up how um, powder puff we were in attack, it was that. Yeah, I was actually going to say that that moment there just really illustrated a lot of what's good and what's not quite so good about Harry Wilson. It was unbelievable skill to work it into the box and then right decision time and there were other passes available and then it was just a bit of a rush of blood to the head and then he kind of miskicked it and it didn't really go anywhere. I thought it was I, a little bit unlucky. There's definitely there's definitely a, there's definitely a little bit of a, a hand on it. It's not enough... And n- do not take this as me saying it's a penalty because it's definitely not. Um, but there is, he does get a nudge and I think it's just enough to shove him off balance. Um, it's its probably very good defending would be my take on it, but hes he is unlucky, I think. Um, just kind of to round off um, the game, uh, there's much more, there's a lot more talking points, but... 90th minute, Joe, and uh, Fulham had really their their clearest opportunity. Mitrovic in acres of space. I think it was the first time that Fulham did something unpredictable in the game and we uh, we went central. I think it was a combination of Wilson and Cabano who linked up, then found Mitrovic, who was in the edge of the, edge of the penalty area. He did really well. He could have shot early. He decided to cut inside, hit the corner of post and bar and then fell to Wilson and just snatched at it. But that was that was the moment to salvage a point. And whilst none of us would have taken a point before the game, I think if that had gone in, it would have been a really... Well, it would have been just relief, I guess, that Fulham would have at least maybe kept some momentum and at least got something from a game that we probably didn't deserve anything from. But yeah, that was the moment, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was the one. We we didn't really create anything. I think we had one shot on target and it wasn't really threatening um, Mitrovic just before that chance, I think. Um, from my seat in H7, the ball was sort of curling away from me. I was certain it was going to just bulge the net. I thought he'd curled it into the top corner. Um, and then the way it fell to Wilson, it was almost as if, I know that you make your own luck, but I didn't think much had fallen for us yesterday um and i don't think that's an excuse but fine something finally fell for us in the box and i re i mean i remembered it as a much um easier chance than it actually was looking at the highlights i thought he was basically on the goal line um <laughs> but yeah he seemed to just it summed up his day he was so determined to try and do something he probably hit it i hate the phrase but too well uh just over the bar um obviously thinking about the players on the line that could have stopped it but 
I feel like we didn't deserve much from the game, but a draw could have been a fair result just on the balance of the chances. I don't think there was much in it. Um, but I think it would have almost masked over another poor performance. And I think that the fact that we've actually lost a game now, I hope, I think we said this earlier, I hope that it causes more of a reaction because as much as the players have said, oh, it was a poor performance at Preston, obviously illness, uh, poor performance at Luton where there was no real excuse, another poor performance here, you know, there's there's nothing to mask it. We haven't picked up anything. Uh, we've lost some ground on the teams coming up from third. I know Bournemouth lost, but Blackburn, etc., have gained on us. They're only a few points away now. There's no more excuses. And I hope that this loss almost kicks us as the Coventry game did to actually get back to winning ways. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to stop there and we're going to take some questions after the break. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and joined by Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Joe Sansom. Hello. And Dan Crawford. Hello. Dan actually forgot to re- reply to your point earlier about Neeskins and, and the racist abuse he received on his Instagram last night. It's just vile and abhorrent and has absolutely no place in the game. And whilst I think it didn't look like a Fulham fan that sent this abuse to me, it doesn't really matter. The fact that he's receiving racist abuse at all says much more about our society in general. So just all the love to Neeskins Cabano um, because no one should have to check their social media and, and, and see abuse like that. It was just, I mean, it was vile. There was absolutely no other word for it. So all the love to Niskins Cabano, because I mean, you don't need us to tell you how much this fan base uh, absolutely loves you. Right. Let's do some questions. Um, not a lot of positivity in here, as you can expect. Um, Mitch Sloan, did Kenny Tete look disinterested at times tonight? Is a the better option? Um, Dan, I'll come to you on that. I thought it was an okay performance from Tete, but maybe it's one of those where in his absence, we bigged him up a bit more in our heads. Um, tends to happen quite a lot of Fulham where uh, players do just seem to get so much better when they're on the sidelines. Um, their their form and their uh, their ability just seems to go through the roof when they uh, have, a, uh, have a spell of injury. Oh, definitely. It's very much like an England test cricket batsman um, <laughs> if, I might, if I might use the parallel um, I would say to you that Tete is an orders of magnitude better option at, uh, at right back than Dennis Adoy at this point yeah, however much we, we, we love Dennis Adoy and um, and how well he's done in, in this spell um, I think if you take them together as, as footballers and for what Silva wants from his fullbacks then he's probably um, going to plump for for Tete, I, I don't think he was uh, disinterested. He had a tough game. I mean, the the Sheffield United left side um, was where quite a lot of the joy uh, came from in their counter attacking, particularly uh, in, in the first half. Um, 
So, you know, and I think it's also one of those when you're trying to re-establish yourself both after injury and then being left out and coming in and playing as a substitute and then playing a couple of games, it takes you a little while to uh, to, to get back to it. Um, you know, God knows I've struggled a couple of times in the, in the office after having a, a few days away. Um, not that I'm comparing my ability to, uh, to Fulham footballers and long may that be so. The Kenny Tete of politics. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I will say for Kenny Tete last night, I don't know if he rubbed some like olive oil on his gloves beforehand, but he kept like dropping the ball whenever he kept taking a throw in. I didn't understand what was going on. It was really annoying. I was just like, catch the ball, Kenny. How hard can it be? The amount of ability you must have just like really simple catches. He just like couldn't make. He'd be useless at cricket. He'd probably uh, well, like you said, he, team right exactly. Now. As Dan already said, he's a, he's, he's be well, well within his rights to play for the England cricket team. Could catch, yeah, can catch a cold. Um, like, <laughs> and you could catch anything at Craven Cottage last night, but it did not get anything catching the ball. Um, yeah, it was it was it wasn't great, was it? But that said, no one was great. I don't think Kenny Tete was any worse. I was having a discussion with that. I was like, I don't think Kenny Tete was any worse than than anyone else. In fact, I thought there were at times where, especially late in the second half, his kind of link up with Bobby on that side was the only reason that we ever looked like we were going to get in behind. Um, I didn't think he was one of Fulham's worst players last night. I thought there were no. there were plenty uh, of players who were poor. Um, I, I thought Kenny Tete was. Not good. I don't think anyone was good, but he definitely wasn't the worst of the bunch. No, I think it's maybe we've he's come back and I think we're expecting a lot of him. I think maybe it's the the failed expectation rather than necessarily he was any worse. Um, although, I, I, good to mention Bobby. I thought he was particularly impressive last night. I actually thought he made um, quite a bit of difference on that right-hand side and he looked like the one that might... Um, do something alongside um, Tom Kearney. So, so good on Bobby for uh, for making a bit of an impact. Uh, let's come on to it then. A lot of people wanting to ask about this player, Anthony Robinson. Uh, it feels like a topic every single podcast at the moment. Dean Gribble says, why does Robinson run like he's being controlled by someone who's tapping the sprint button rather than holding it? Brian is surely an all-round better option. <laughs> I mean, it's the most accurate description I've ever seen. It literally is like, run, stop, run, stop. It's so infuriating. And I just just marooned myself on Robinson Island last night as well. I just planted my flag before the game and said, yeah, Robinson, I'm backing you here. Um, it's, It's a lonely place, Robinson Island at the moment, Joe. Yeah, I, I've probably just booked my flight out of there, to be honest. I mean, I wanted Brian to um, to be back on the bench in this game. I thought he was slightly underwhelming in his two performances. Um, and now I'm probably wanting Brian to start again on Boxing Day because I really thought that Robinson was poor. Um, I don't know if it's a confidence thing or if it's an ability thing or if it's both because a lot of the times when the ball was being played to him, the touch was just wrong. He set himself up wrong and he set himself up quite negatively every time. He wasn't as on the front front foot as he was earlier in the season when we had quite a lot of joy down the left side with him and Cabano. Um, and it was just a, it was one of those where we, we, we did need to make a change in my opinion and the change would have been Brian on for him. I can see why Silva didn't want to make that change because when we're chasing the game, would you want to change the left back when you can bring on another attacker um, or you could just tweak the system. As it turned out, the change in system didn't particularly work, as we've said. Um, I thought we lacked a lot out wide on the left. Um, 
in terms of just players being there, I mean, we had Tim Ream coming in for a cross in like the 90th minute. Um, as poor as he was, I'd rather that be Robinson. But yeah, I thought Robinson was poor yesterday, defensively and defensively. And I've 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 always liked him. I've always rated him higher than people that um, slate him a lot of the time. But yesterday, I thought he was very very poor. And I think that Brian des- deserves another chance. Um, I'm not saying this is like, oh my God, sell Robinson. He's rubbish, as some people have said. I just think it's partially a confidence thing. He knows that he's not had a great time of it recently, but I'll definitely put Brian back in for for Boxing Day. Yeah, uh, it was a difficult one for for Robinson last night. There was one moment in the first half which just struck me as confidence as opposed to ability, where I think Robinson did quite a nice run up the left-hand side and he was kind of careering towards the box and it was definitely a moment for him to either, I don't know, shoot, cross, whatever. And then he just, at the last moment, just like nipped it sideways to Neeskins with an under-hit pass that Neeskins couldn't really do a lot with and it just, it screamed, bottled it. Like it just screamed, I haven't got the confidence to go and actually cross this. I don't want the crowd on my back. I'm just better off giving this to Neeskins and maybe he'll do a flip flap and put it into the box. And there was quite a lot of that, I thought, last night from from Robinson Dan. He's he's clearly a confidence player. Um and when he when he he seems to have a lot of the attributes, particularly in terms of pace, to be an outstanding um footballer, but it's not really uh, come through for him. Um we know that uh, his crossing is not of the level of, of Joe Bryan in terms of how Bryan consistently finds Mitrovic, which is one of the reasons why you know, I, I'd be picking Joe Bryan and, and you know, I advocated for that um, at, the start, at the start of the season. Um, just the first half yesterday, he struggled to do basic things like find another white shirt with a, with a pass, which is, which is never good. Um, and... You know, we have an abundance of options in, in terms of our fullbacks, including an outstanding young French fullback in Ziad Lakesh in the uh, in the under twenty threes. Um, so uh, I think it just takes careful management. You're going to have players who who are in and out of form, and there's probably not in a championship level. There's probably not a lot between Robinson and, and Brian. We're blessed to have. Um, two good options and you know one of my criticisms of Silver at times is he doesn't utilize the squad that we have as wide, widely um, as he uh, as he could do so you know like like Joe has suggested maybe we just need a blend um, for a few games go, go, particularly when the games are going to come quick and fast in the in these next few weeks. Uh, two more questions. Uh, this one from Matt Wall, um, Jack. He's asking about uh, our, our Brazilian friend, Rodrigo. And Matt said he's not responsible for the recent performances, but is it time we acknowledge that Muniz isn't ready? If he was Scottish, we'd all think we'd burned 8 million. Is it time to get in the short term experience forward to help change the game? Um, he suggested Ashley Fletcher or Mateta. Um, I don't know about those suggestions, but last night was one where... I just I I didn't have any confidence that Rodrigo was really going to do all that much. There's, he he brought some energy to the pitch. I I will give him that, but I I didn't really hold out much hope that he was actually going to get the goal that would rescue us. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that Jean Philippe Mateta, who's basically not played a game for Palace for like seven months, is is and is behind Christian Benteke and Jordan Ayew, who hadn't scored a goal in 
something like 41 Premier League games is, is the answer to our, our problems, um, much as he was good for Mainz. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, I think this is this is fine. It's, it's fine to be like we've invested in a in a player who isn't yet ready for the level we want him to be at. That's fine. It's okay to to to, to kind of look at that, um, to take it up a notch, to use a comparison that's far beyond us. But when Real Madrid brought Vinicius Junior in four years ago at seventeen years old, he was nowhere near ready. They'd spent fifty million on him, but now four years later, having had that you know that experience within the squad, having been brought through, he had three or four really frustrating years um, before he really exploded into life this season, and now he's one of the best young players in Europe. Right, so we're looking at um, players who can and you can spend a lot on players and and then have them have frustrating years while they come to terms with it and grow into themselves i think we're seeing something like that or at least that's the plan with muniz now i don't know if the outcome is going to be the same obviously no one does it you, you can't future proof football but buying someone who you think has the raw attributes to become a very, very good all-rounded Premier League player at your young age, at 8 million, if he goes on to do that, Fulham will either one, sell him at a profit, or two, will make this work and and, and have a player there who they've bought for a steal to, to work. Now, whether that comes true or not is, is a different question. I think that the fair point that Matt's making here is that right now he doesn't feel ready. Um, he does feel clunky, feels a bit clumsy, he's a little bit all over the place. Yes, he works really hard and I enjoy watching him play football and the squad clearly enjoy having him about and in, you know his enthusiasm and he's obviously well-liked, um, but it didn't work. I don't know if the answer is just chucking more players into the mix um, because something that we've kind of discussed at times and not really seen is playing, if you're going to play, and what happened last night when Muniz came on was Mitrovic dropped into the kind of secondary striker role. He, he became the kind of, well, nine and a half, if you want. Um, he, he sort of stuck back while Muniz played on the line and it didn't really work because that's not really what you want Mitrovic to be doing. I would argue that maybe if you're going to do this, the answer is, and you're going to go two up top, the answer is, do you chuck Bobby Reed in there? Do you chuck Fabio Carvalho in there as very tight to very tight to Mitrovic and try and go two up top with a kind of big man, little man? Because having two, you know, big fellas who want to get on the end of headers and and flick things on and no one chasing it seems like a bit of a kitchen sink tactic. And it's not the first time we've seen it from Silver. Dan pushed it on earlier and he, he said something that, you know, if Parker had done that and done what Silver did last night, played wing backs that weren't wing backs. And it will, I remember watching Ivan Cavaledo and Anthony Knockart play at wing back under Parker in that Charlton game where we were 2-0 down and <laughs> banging my head against the seats, being like, what are we doing? This is chaos. And Silver basically did that last night. He just was like, well, uh, just put attacking players on the pitch and hope. And it's not good enough. Like, that's not good enough. Does that mean that the manager is incapable of his depth? No. Doesn't. It's a, it's a, you know, a, a reactionary tactic to go, how do we get something out of this with 10 minutes to go? What do I do? Um, but Fulham, I thought, looked worse with two up top. Than, than we did beforehand, you know, it, because the system and the, the tactic and the ability to try and work the ball through the phases just went and we just started lumping it, which we're not very good at. Um, but it was also, as you say, it was lumping it with no, if you're going to lump it, lumping it is a, is a legit tactic. But as you say, if you had Bobby Reed running off Mitrovic's flicks or Muniz's flicks, whatever, but you can't have two players that both want to be the big man that flicking it on to nobody. Like that was just, that was, that was an insane 
tactic. And as you say, if you're going to play a second striker, it's a legit tactic. It's not one I particularly enjoy or a massively a, an advocate of. But if you're going to do it, do it right. You don't put two big target men on fl- flicking it on into thin air. I mean, the Sheffield United defence just must have seen that and gone, <laughs> Look, if, <laughs> lucky if, days. If, if Muniz isn't ready, which is fine, and I think that's a pretty acceptable point of view, that's fine. He can be a Mitrovic rotator in that he can play that role, you know, come on with 10 minutes to do it and be the, the nine, the, the big man up front who tries to, to win the ball, to win flick-ons. If we're going to bring in another attacker in January, which is not the worst idea in the world, I would suggest it needs to be a forward of of a kind of different mould. It needs to be a, a nippy forward or someone who is going to poach in the box, someone who can play two up top and will get on the end, who will run over the top. Um, that's what I'd be looking for if we're going to bring in a new attacker in January. Well, that's why I quite like Josh Madger. It matches that transfer didn't really work. Like that was, he did, he made more sense as a as as a player for us in terms of what he could offer. I mean, I imagine he'd, he'd absolutely bang goals in the championship. But anyway, um, we're going to move on from Sheffield United and we're going to do a quick preview of Birmingham on Boxing Day. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Joe Sanson, Jack Collins and Dan Crawford. Let's look ahead then to Birmingham on Boxing Day. Joe, I'm going to say it again. It's the perfect game for Fulham to get back to <laughs> no, form. No, no. What are you doing? Are you dumb? It's the ideal game for Fulham. Now, I'm being serious here. Birmingham are out of form. They got battered by Blackburn um, at the weekend. A very good Blackburn team at the moment. Um, They've been losing games left, right and centre. We obviously had a great game against them earlier in the season where we won 4-1. They seem to be out of form. They seem to be out of confidence. We're back at Craven Cottage. I'm pleased that it's this match. Yeah, I'm not going to count my chickens and say we've won it or we're going to get three points. But I look at it and I think I'm pleased it's that. There's another 15, 16 teams I would rather have less than Birmingham as as the game for Fulham to get back to winning ways. Yeah, ag- agreed. I, I feel like you want to play a team that's low on confidence. Last night we didn't. We played a team very high on confidence who had had a huge break in time to think about this match and come up with their game plan. Birmingham have just come off the back of another another battering. I think it's one that we're playing a team that is conceding a lot. And it sounds very basic to say they're conceding a lot and they're not scoring many. And you're not going to get a better chance than that. They're not particularly organised, which is almost what you'd expect from a Bowyer team. They haven't been very organised this season. They've got a couple of players that have recently come back in that could help. For example, I think Maxime Collin, the right back, came back for the first time against Blackburn at half time. Um it's a game that we have to win, regardless of any poor form. This is one that we had to win, and it's even more so now 
after this poor run. Um, you're not going to get a better chance to get back to winning ways than an out-of-form side at home. Yes, it's a banana skin, but let's face it, in this league, who isn't? But we need to be beating Birmingham. And like I said, I'd hope to see some changes to the team and I hope that we put in a convincing performance regardless of the result, but especially a win is needed. Yeah, Dan, what changes would you like to see um, for this game? As Joe mentioned earlier in the season, this is when we went with uh, Chalaba, Reed, and Seri in midfield. We didn't play uh, at number 10 in the traditional way. Fabio Carvalho was injured at that time, so that's a bit of a difference um, from from then. Which, was that something that you would potentially like to see Silver go with? Or do you just say... Monday was a bad day at the office. That is a strong 11 that we put out. Let's try it again and see if it works because against a much more inferior opposition that Birmingham are to Sheffield United, hopefully they can get some joy, get some confidence. And I I do believe that once this Fulham team gets back to winning ways, we will start to go on a a winning sequence again. I'm fairly confident that's around the corner. Yeah, the one thing I would say about about our our recent form is, uh, you know, we were 11 unbeaten until last night. Um, it rather emphasises the 23-match unbeaten run um, that we sometimes elevate to, to mythical status, but it, but it shows just how, um, how impressive that, that was and that Jukanovic team were to, to put a run like that together that, ironically, Birmingham City ended um, yeah. at, at the end of all that. Look, I, I don't know. In terms of personnel, I'd actually like to see a more of a mentality switch um, going into Boxing Day than a, than, a, than a personnel switch. We can always make an argument about you need to, um, and Joe's made it very cogently there, there, there are some players who you can, you can bring in. Um, there's arguably a change in the system. But I, I just think we look so much sharper and more effective when we match the opposition's intensity. We go out on the front foot and um, play quicker uh, into the final third, you know, we we've been caught cold in recent games by by two early goals, the one last night and the one um, Bournemouth uh, terrifically worked but shambolically conceded uh, goal at the start of the second half um, a few weeks ago, and in the last uh, two games we've conceded two goals from three shots on target. I'm not sure that there's anything too wrong in in the way that we set up it's more about the execution of a, of a game plan silver's a meticulous coach from from everything we read he sets it down very clearly what the opposition does and what and, and what he wants his his team to do um so it's about execution of that i'd agree that you'd you know I, i'd like to see joe ryan back back in there um i am intrigued by by chalabar because at some point he's going to have to prove what you know the potential that he undoubtedly has and injuries and and lack of selection mean we haven't yet seen it from him in a Fulham Fulham shirt I am intrigued by you know whether he seeing as um Domingo Squina seems to have disappeared off the face of the earth he's in the Larnell um, coal cupboard (laughs) yeah I was gonna say mate um yeah um you know, he's the one hope from that Watford loan deal that we were very excited about um, to come to come good, isn't he? So, and he'll need to start showing it, showing it soon enough. 
Um, but but I think we have the ingredients to to put to put in a very strong performance. But uh, as as colleagues have already said, it needs to happen quickly. Uh, you know, I, I just caution about Alibo side getting absolutely whacked um, somewhere. They're going to tighten things up. They're going to be difficult to play through. It seems like the championship has a template of how to nullify Fulham now and actually I'm very interested to see how we respond to that in terms of our levels of performance and getting back some of that invention um, that's sorely been missing. Well, a Boxing Day game, three o'clock kickoff um, on Sunday. Uh, always enjoy Boxing Day football at the Cottage. So uh, fingers crossed that Fulham can get back to winning ways. Uh, only thing to do is to name the podcast. And the big question is, will Jack select his own name? Jack Collins, over to you. I don't think I'm allowed to do that, man. I but... would be happy if you did. I think it's a very good name. You're uh, allowed uh, to. I will I will pass the duty to you then. If I'm, I'm not going to do it myself, but if you would like it, then you do it. Since when was Jack Collins so humble? Have we got an impo- imposter on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know. He's, he's a, Jack, he's blink twice if you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Show me a newspaper with today's date. Yeah, um, yeah. take a picture. Right, you give me an option of what you were thinking and I'll see if it's better than your one and I'll decide. Well, I was thinking Drexian wave jumpers nightmare before Christmas. No, Feliz very bad is I uh, sorry Drexian. No, he's had a pod name before. I'm going to go with Feliz very bad. It's too good. Thank it's you. too good. Thank you. So that is the podcast title for today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, I believe it's going to be George Cooper hosting after the Birmingham City game uh, with reaction to that and a preview of the Reading match, which all looks like it's going ahead. Uh, Certainly that's the EFL's plan. Um, COVID cases permitting within our camp and the opposition's camp. So uh, yeah, we'll see you after Christmas. Uh, But before then, thank you to my guests, Joe Sanson. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Dan Crawford, lovely to have you back. Hopefully it's not another 18 or so months before we can get you back on. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners, Sammy. Thank you very much. And Jack Collins, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Merry Christmas one and all. Look, we're still top, eh? We're still top. Top at Christmas. It was a bad day at the office, but hopefully we'll get back to winning ways soon. Merry Christmas to you, wherever you are across the world, to all the Fulham family. Have a lovely and happy day. Uh, and we'll see you post Birmingham City. Come on, you whites. You whites.